So we're continuing our foundation series today, this series that we said we'd take a month or so uh, to look into some of the key practices and some of the key habits that are really, really helpful in our relationship with God. And uh, last week we kind of set up a bunch of what we're going to be talking about in this series. So if you weren't around last week, I'd encourage you to have a listen to that on our website, Facebook page, podcast, wherever. And if you don't have access to any of those things, then let me know. We'll try and sort you out. Uh, But one of the key things that we said as we started this series is that it's not about a to-do list of all these things that we have to feel all this pressure and this obligation around doing uh, otherwise God won't accept us and we started with a metaphor where we talked about the idea of gardening and we talked about how in a healthy garden there is a sense where if you put things in the right soil if you put them in the right place so that they get the right amount of sun if you give them the right nutrients if you prune them get rid of the weeds, get rid of the pests, then everything has the best chance of being able to grow. And so that's really what our relationship with God is like as well, that God has a desire for all of us to grow into the people that he wants us to be, but we also have the opportunity to give that growth the best chance of happening by making sure that we plant ourselves in the right place, being a part of a healthy church, uh, that we make sure that we're feeding ourselves with the right nutrients, which is really what a lot of this series is about. What are the things that we can take in to help us to be able to grow? And then making sure that we're being diligent around things like pruning when we need to and cutting things out of our lives and uh, doing weeding and those sorts of things when it's needed. So we said we're going to take five weeks to look at a bunch of different things. Last week we started by talking about an overview of the Bible and uh, we kind of set up where we're going for next week with that, uh, where we talk through what the Bible is and uh, yeah, just what the big story of God is. Next week we'll then talk about how to practically read the Bible and how to get the most out of that. The week after that we're going to talk about how to pray and then the week after that we're going to talk about how to journal. But today we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of eating together, which might be a little bit of a surprise for some of us, and for some of us it might be a very encouraging thing to say, what, eating is a spiritual practice? That is something that I can throw myself into fully. So uh, inside of Caring Connection, as always, you have your teaching notes, uh, so if you want to jot things down, then you can feel free to do that. Now, since the earliest days of when the church began, we see this practice of people eating together being a key part of what they did. Acts chapter 2 has one of the first snapshots of what it looked like, this daily rhythm that the early church had. And uh, the message translation of it is just absolutely beautiful. Verse 46 of chapter 2 of Acts, it says, they, the early church, followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. And people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. And so we have this beautiful picture of them gathering together and doing some spiritual practices together. So learning from uh, the apostles' teaching and talking about what it looks like to put that into practice, being generous with people around them. Then we have this amazing picture of exuberant, joyful, celebration-filled meals that they had. And it's no wonder that other people thought that this was pretty good. You can imagine them gathering together in homes, having these massive meals where there's lots of noise going on, and people next door saying, what's going on next door? What are they up to over there? I want to find out more about that. And as they discover this joy that God was bringing into their lives, they want to be a part of it as well. And so this became a key practice in the early church that they called love feasts. 
And so there are documents right from the beginnings of the church that show that they would get together for these things that they called love feasts, where they would have a shared meal, everyone would bring food together, and they would use that as a part of the picture of what it meant to be centred around Jesus as spiritual family. This beautiful picture of saying, all of us are going to bring something different to eat, but when we bring it all together, then we have one meal that fuels us and enables us to do the things that we need to do. The same as us as the church, coming together with all of our different gifts, all of the different people that we are, but we're united through Jesus, who then fuels us and allows us to live as his people. And so they would eat these amazing meals together, and then as a part of the meal, towards the end of the meal, they would participate in the Lord's Supper, what we call communion, this beautiful symbolic thing that Jesus had given them to carry on. And it's good for us to recognise that's what it looked like in the early church when they had the Lord's Supper. And so I want you to just picture this for a moment. So imagine them reclining at the table at the end of the meal. There's dirty dishes all over the place. There's probably half-eaten bits of food here and there. And just, you know what it's like when you have a great meal with some people that you just love being with. So with family, with friends... Just that moment at the end of the meal where you've got a full belly, you're feeling content, you're feeling a sense of connection with the people that you're with, this sense of joy, this sense of gratitude for what you've just had time doing. And it's in that moment that they would then have the practice of the Lord's Supper, where out of that they would take time to break bread, take the juice and be reminded about Jesus. And so that's what we see from the start of the church. But if we fast forward a little bit further, we get to one of the churches that got planted, this church called uh, the Corinthian Church in a city called Corinth. And so Paul, who we've talked about before, went around planting all of these churches uh, in Europe. And one of them was in this amazing city called Corinth. And so we have two letters that Paul wrote to that church, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And Paul is pretty clear with the Corinthians that some of the things that they were doing weren't exactly the way that maybe they should be doing life together. And so in particular, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read these fairly stern words from Paul. He says, In the following instructions, I do not praise you because your meetings for worship actually do more harm than good. Ouch. Be harsh. So uh, when you get together, actually, it'd almost be better if you didn't, because what you're doing when you get together is causing more issues than if you just didn't meet at all. It's kind of a good start. So Paul explains why he feels this strongly. He says in verse 18, "In the first place, I've been told that there are opposing groups in your meetings, and this, I believe, is partly true. No doubt there must be divisions among you, so that the ones who are in the right may be clearly seen." So there's an understanding that in the Corinthian church there were these divisions that were starting to kick in. And some of them were theological divisions, so people who believed different things about God. Some of them were to do with practices, so some people thinking you need to do this and other people saying, well, that's not really that important. And some of them were simply social divisions, people who had more and people who had less. But what was clear was that there was starting to be this real us and them mentality that had kicked in in their times when they were gathering together. And it's easy for us to look at verse 19 where Paul says, no doubt there must be divisions among you so that the ones who are in the right may be clearly seen, to think what Paul is saying there is clearly some of you are saying the right theology. Well, clearly some of you are talking about the right spiritual practices. And so it's good that you're kind of talking this stuff through because then the people who are right will kind of rise to the top. But in actual fact, most people would agree that what Paul was saying 
was that the people who were trying to bring unity were the ones who were clearly coming to the top, the ones who were in the right. It's not the ones who are arguing for this side or this side. It's the ones who are saying, it's not okay that there are these divisions kicking in amongst us. The people who are saying, we need to stay together. Remember, Jesus is the one who holds us together. They're the ones who are clearly being shown to be in the right. Paul then explains a little bit further about what's going on. Verse 20, when you meet together as a group, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For as you eat, you each go ahead with your own meal so that some are hungry while others get drunk. So what Paul's saying is happening here is that they're having this shared meal, so people are bringing their food along. But instead of bringing their food and putting it on the table so that everyone can share together, People are saying, well, I brought these leftovers and last night's dinner was actually really, really good, so I'm just going to keep that for myself and I'm going to sit over here and eat mine. And I really like this and I don't like that food, so I'm just going to keep my food and I'm going to eat that and uh, too bad whatever else anyone else brought. The challenge with this is that some of the people who were there didn't have very much at all. And so you've literally got this picture now where people are supposed to be coming together for this love feast, for this shared meal, And some people are hoeing into their food and other people are sitting on the other side of the room going hungry, not having anything to eat at all. Paul also says that some people are drinking so much wine that they're getting drunk as well. So it's just a pretty festive atmosphere in some ways, but not at all the way that people should be acting when they're together. And so just imagine what it would be like in the midst of that to try and have the Lord's Supper where a bunch of people have just eaten their own food and sat over in the corner. There's a bunch of people gossiping about other people and talking about them behind their back. Oh, those people, I don't agree with them. I don't like what they're doing. A bunch of people sitting there, starving, not getting any food at all and feeling completely left out. And then a bunch of people who are getting drunk. And we generally know that drunk people either get really, really loud or they start to fall asleep. It's generally the two extremes. So that's the environment that's happening. You've got all of this tension. Some people are really full and happy. Some people have missed out. Some people are being loud. Some people falling asleep. Can you imagine in the midst of that saying, okay, now we're going to break bread and we're going to remember Jesus. A little bit of a challenge to try and do that in an authentic way. So Paul continues, he says in verse 22, Don't you have your own homes in which to eat and drink? Or would you rather despise the church of God and put to shame the people who are in need? What do you expect me to say about this? Shall I praise you? Of course I don't. Paul says, I can't believe what you guys are doing. Like, seriously? Take a look at yourselves. Think about what you're doing. And you're supposed to be gathering together as the church. You're supposed to be gathering together to remember Jesus you're embarrassing yourselves. And not only that, but you're also giving a bad name to the church. These other people who are hearing about the stuff that you're doing are saying, well, I don't want to be a part of a group that acts like that. People miss out. That's not good. Paul says, when we come together for communion and for community, it's not supposed to be just about the rituals that we practice. It really challenges that. We can fall into the trap of thinking, well, as long as we do the right things, as long as we get together and we have bread and we have juice and for us, we sing some songs and we do some prayers, as long as we do all that stuff and go through the motions and do all those rituals, it's all okay. But Paul's really challenging that and saying it's not okay, actually. It's about the heart 
and the attitude that you bring into whatever those practices are. What's your mindset? What's your attitude when you're coming together? And for us, we wrestle with some of the same challenges, possibly not the drunkenness, but many of the other same ones. We struggle a little bit with some of the stuff around division. We struggle with people who don't necessarily agree with us or people who practice different things than us. We can easily fall into a bit of an us and their mindset, a bit of suspicion about where are people coming from. And it's really easy for us to come together and to just go through the motions and to forget what's my heart, what's my attitude, what's my passion when we come together. And so one of the beautiful things about this practice of eating together is it smashes all of those walls. It breaks all of those things down. Because when we sit together and when we eat together, all of a sudden we see people as people. We see them as people who God loves. We see them as people who Jesus is at work in their lives. We get to know their stories. We get to know them. We get to discover some of the things that are going on in their lives, some of the things that they're struggling with. It's also a big part of why I love our small groups so much because our small groups are an opportunity for us to turn and face each other and discover those same things. When we sit together like this, and it's important that we gather like this, but it's always just one person at a time who's talking. We don't have the opportunity to connect with each other. Our small groups are that place where we can turn, face each other, and get to know each other. And so it's been beautiful to be able to experience that together, and certainly we've involved food in that as well. So in Monday night group, we always start with food, and uh, we've had a number of shared meals together that have been really, really great, and again, a good opportunity to connect with each other. Our Tuesday group, we've had some shared meals, but also some shared afternoon teas, and that's been really nice too. Just an opportunity to get to know each other's stories and hear where people are coming from. There's this amazing sense of joy and connection that comes when we gather together and when we bring food into that, it becomes even more rich. And I would argue that in today's culture, this practice of eating together is more important than it's ever been before. We recognise that our culture is at a frenzied pace. People run around and go from one thing to another and particularly eating has just become this functional thing where I eat some food and then get on with the next thing that I need to do. And so this practice of slowing down and actually enjoying a meal, being able to savour the food that I'm eating, so that actually tastes really, really good. Being able to savour the company that I'm in, being able to enjoy the conversations that we're having, being able to just slow down and be, is almost becoming a lost art for lots of people. And so eating together gives us an opportunity to restore that practice to recognise it's really important. And there's more and more research that's being done that shows that one of the big challenges for families is that that practice has gone out the door. And lots and lots of families now, same thing. It's about a functional thing of just get some food because mum and dad have just come home from work and they're tired and the kids need to get to bed. So quick, hurry up and eat something, kids, and then we'll get you to bed. Or running till we've got to get you to this practice or to this rehearsal or to this thing. And so eating together has become a lost art for families. But there's so much research that shows that's the place where we find our identity. That's the place where we find our security. And so one of the reasons why a lot of kids are struggling is because they just don't get that experience on a regular basis anymore. And it's important to recognise this isn't just about us as a church community doing this, but this is also about the ways in which we connect with those around us, with our neighbours, with our friends, with the people that we work with, even with our extended families. 
Eating together is this beautiful way of us being able to build trust, being able to hear their stories and being able to connect with them as well. One of the other reasons why eating together is so important is because we get all of these pictures that this is what life is actually going to be like when we step from this life into the next. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 6 is a great example. Again, the message translation paints it this way. Here on this mountain, this picture of us at the end of time with God, here on this mountain, God of the angel armies will throw a feast for all the people of the world. And tell me if this doesn't sound good. A feast of the finest foods, a feast of vintage wines, a feast of seven courses, a feast lavish with gourmet desserts. Sounds glorious. Amazing. So this is one of the pictures that we get of what things are going to be like for us in eternity. And Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom, often uses the idea of a feast as one of the pictures that helps us to understand what life is going to be like. Because there's so much richness that comes. We all know what it's like when we sit down and share an amazing meal with people that we love. There's just something that is right in that. And so that's a picture that we get. And so we should take the opportunity not to wait until then to experience all this stuff, but make the most of it in the here and now. So Paul challenges the Corinthians about this idea of making sure that they're eating together, but when they're coming together, they're doing it from the right mindset. And a big part of why that is, is as I said, because this leads automatically into the Lord's Supper. This opportunity to be able to do what Jesus gave us as this practice of remembering who he is. And so these verses that we're about to read again are ones that are very common to be read before communion in lots of more liturgical churches where they use a similar script each week to be able to talk through what they're doing. For us, because we're churches of Christ, we try to take the gist of it, the meaning of it, and each week we come back to these same principles. We don't just necessarily say exactly the same words each week. And so Paul outlines these four things that are really important for us to remember as we gather around communion. Verse 23, he starts by reminding us that this thing that we do is based in history. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, is where Paul starts. This is at a time when Jesus was betrayed, the night before Jesus died, this happened at a moment in time with a figure in history, this man Jesus. Verse 24, Jesus took bread, gave thanks for it, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. And so we take bread as the reminder of Jesus' body. And it's good for us to remember that. We take bread as a reminder of his body, not of his death. And it's important that we do slow down. We recognise the sacrifice that Jesus made for us when we celebrate communion. But a part of why Jesus said, remember that this is my body, is to remember his life as well as his death. Remember his teaching. Remember the way that he treated other people. Remember his love for those around him. And remember that death wasn't the end. Jesus also had life in his resurrected body when he came back to life. And so we remember Jesus' power. We remember what Jesus is able to do now, the all-conquering Jesus that we serve. And so when we take bread... We remember Jesus, all of those things about Jesus. His death, yes, but also his life and his resurrection. We remember who he is. Then in verse 25, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. 
And he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed with my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in memory of me. And so we have this beautiful, rich word covenant there that in Jesus' time was this word that was kind of the closest for us would be a contract, but it was a very relational contract. It was a contract where you agree to do something and I agree to do something in the way that we're going to relate to each other and connect with each other. And so Jesus says this juice, this wine, is the reminder of a new covenant, a new contract that's been put in place in your relationship with God. And that new covenant is, that new promise is, that I've done everything necessary for you to be a part of God's family. It's done. The sacrificial system is over. And now you're a part of God's family. So what's your end of the bargain? Live like it. Live like you're a part of God's family because I've done everything necessary to give you the opportunity to be able to do it. And then in verse 26, Paul finishes by saying, this means that every time you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That when we take communion, we're taking the opportunity to declare, to make a proclamation about who Jesus is and about what Jesus has done. And we will continue to do that until Jesus comes back and scoops us all up and takes us into eternity with him. It's a time of proclaiming for those who aren't aware through some tangible, symbolic things what Jesus has done for us. Now, quick side note before we wrap up is that Paul then writes some words that have been taken very out of context by some strains of the church for quite a bit of the time. In verse 27, Paul says, it follows that if one of you eats the Lord's bread or drinks from this cup in a way that dishonours him, you're guilty of sin against the Lord's body and blood. So then, you should each examine yourself first and then eat the bread and drink from the cup. For if you don't recognise the meaning of the Lord's body when you eat the bread and drink from the cup, you bring judgment on yourself as you eat and as you drink. And as we'll come back to next week when we talk about how to read the Bible, this is why it's so important for us to understand context when we read anything, but particularly the letters that Paul wrote to the early church because Paul is writing in a specific time to a specific group of people and addressing some specific issues. And so it's really important for us to understand exactly what was going on behind that. And so Paul is saying to the Corinthians here, based on everything that I've just told you, based on what you understand the Lord's Supper is supposed to be about, don't bring divisions and selfishness and drunkenness into your times together. That's not the right thing to do when you're trying to remember Jesus. Do you think that's what he meant when he said, do this in remembrance of me? Of course it's not. Make sure you're coming with the right heart and the right attitude in the midst of that. However, this is not supposed to be something that then causes us anxiety or makes us start to think, oh, I don't know, am I allowed to have communion or not? And sadly, some streams of the church have set, used this as a way of saying, I'm sorry, but you can't take communion because until you've proven that you deserve to be able to do this, until you've proven that you've searched yourself, until you've proven that you agree with all these things, you can't participate in communion. And it's why I love who we are as Churches of Christ. And one of the key distinctives for us right from the beginning was opening this table up and saying, it's not about what you've done, it's about what Jesus has done. And he's the one who invites you into this table, into this feast, into this meal. So if we're starting to wrestle with this question, 
am I worthy of Jesus' sacrifice? Do I deserve to be able to come and have communion? The answer is always no. No, you're not. (laughs) Neither am I. None of us are worthy of it. We don't deserve it. But that's the whole point. It's a gift that was given freely to each one of us to be able to come and to be welcomed into God's family. Not because we've achieved it, but because of what Jesus has done. However, we should remember what Paul is saying here, that when we come, we should take a bit of time to remember and to say, am I coming with the right heart? Am I coming with the right attitude? Or am I coming filled with selfishness, filled with us and them stuff, filled with what's in it for me, filled with bitterness or anything else? Because this is supposed to remind us that all that stuff should be pushed to the sides. And we gather together as God's family centred around Jesus. So in a moment, we're going to do exactly that. And that's why I figured we should have communion at the end today, because it didn't make a lot of sense to do all of that and then talk about the meaning of all of it. So we're going to take communion in a moment. So if the kids who are going to help with that could come forward, that'd be great. Now, I honestly thought about doing communion as a part of lunch today because, like I said, that's what we see in the early church was this picture of them having a meal together and then out of that having the Lord's Supper. But I didn't want to push the envelope too far. We might do that at some point in the future, so I'll just name that as a possibility. But today we're going to do it as a part of our service, so it's okay. Before we get to that, though, I want to just give us an opportunity to be able to think practically about what we want to take away from today's message because we will finish with communion and then a song. And so in Caring Connection, on the teaching notes, you'll see that you've got this line there that says, this week I will aim to, and then a blank space. And this series is a very practical series. There's going to be lots of practical takeaways from it. And so one of the dangers is that we sit and we say, yeah, that's all really good and really interesting. I should definitely do something about that. And then if you're anything like me, the minute the service finishes, it's like, oh, think about I've got to catch up with that person, I've got to get food ready and do this, and then this afternoon and then by tomorrow. What did we talk about? I don't remember. So the point is to be able to say right now in this moment, is there something that you want to aim to do this week? Is there a clear takeaway for you from what we're talking about? For some of us, it could be as simple as sticking around for our lunch afterwards. We've intentionally done this this way so that today you have an opportunity to put your homework into practice immediately. Stick around and the bonus is you get to eat some really, really good food. So if you didn't know we had a shared lunch, it's okay. You're still welcome because we're not all going to go into our corners with the food that we brought and just eat it and leave you on the side. We'll share all of our food together. So if you want to stick around for our shared lunch, that might be the thing that you'll aim to do this week. It's just to put that into practice and to stay maybe for the first time that you've ever done that. For some of us who stick around for our shared lunch every week, it might be just going into every month, it might be just going into our shared lunch with a different mindset. And to be able to say, today when I have lunch, I'm going to sit with someone who I don't know very well. And I'm going to intentionally try and hear a bit more of their story, hear a bit more about where they've come from, about the things that are happening in their lives, and just to be able to talk a bit more with them. So your I will aim to this week might be to sit with someone that you don't know very well. But it could also be that you want to push further out into this week and say, my aim this week is to meet up with someone outside of just the context that we've got here. And it might be to have a meal with someone, but it might be as simple as just being able to have a coffee together. 
to have an opportunity to sit down and still have those same conversations. And so there might be someone right now who's on your mind who you're like, I know that I would love to spend some more time with that person. And so write their name down. This week, I will aim to make a time to meet up with whoever they are. Or it could be a neighbour or someone from work or someone who's a friend, someone who you want to put this into practice with. So before we wrap up, I want to give you a moment to be able to do that, to write down. This week, I will aim to dot, 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 and then we're going to take communion together. So take a moment to do that, and then we'll transition. So this is our opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper, to share in communion together. And uh, I'm clearly not going to do a long communion intro today because we've just had a fairly long one and that's more than enough. But everything that we've just said is true. We gather together as this, as a symbolic meal. For us, it's not practical for us to have a meal every time that we get together. But every week when we get together, we take these core elements of that meal and we gather around and we remember Jesus. Through the bread, we remember that Jesus' body was given for us. That Jesus threw himself fully into God's mission. Not just his death, but his life, his teaching, the way that he interacted with people, and his resurrection, the life that he had after death. And we take the juice as this reminder of one final sacrifice that brings a new covenant, a new contract, a new promise in our relationship with God where we've been welcomed into God's family and so now we have the opportunity to be able to fully participate in that family. So I'll invite you guys forward and I'm going to pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you left us these elements that are so simple in lots of ways, bread, simple grape juice, but means so much in so many different ways. Week after week, we have opportunities to look at this from all sorts of different angles. But in the midst of that, to remember you, to remember who you are, to remember what you have done for us, to remember the life that you lived, the death that you died, the sacrifice that you made for us, and in all of that, to remember who we are because of that. And so we thank you that this has been something that's been a part of the practice of the early church since it was first started and that we get to continue on in that tradition. And so we ask that you would help us to recognise that you're here with us in the midst of this, that we would take the opportunity to express our gratitude to you for all that you've done for us, but also that we would use this as a tangible expression to say, Jesus, we want more of you in our lives, fueling us and helping us to be the people that you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll sing one more song to close our time out together. God, we thank you that our relationship with you is so full and so rich. As we get into this series where we talk about foundations and talk about habits and practices, I'm grateful today for the reminder that it's not just about my relationship with you, that it's not just about us individually, these practices that we often do on our own, where we read the Bible, where we pray, where we journal, but that right from the beginning of the early church, it was about being community, 
and practicing our spirituality out of those relationships that we have together. And we thank you for the reminder that our practices also involve physical things, that it's not just this spiritual, ethereal thing, but that we get to eat food together, something tangible as an expression of all that you give to us and of what it looks like for us to come together and to share together and to find our place in that. So as we head into this week, I pray that you would continue to challenge us about that, that every moment of every day is an opportunity to participate in the work that you are doing and opportunities for us to continue to grow in our relationship with you. And we pray especially for our time together over lunch, that it would be an opportunity for us to put into practice all these things that we've talked about today, this sense of us coming together, having common unity, being able to share together, being able to grow together, and uh, out of that being able to express our love for you and our love for each other that then inspires us and fuels us to be your people as we head out into this week. So we thank you for these reminders today. And we ask that you would continue to allow us to live those things out as we head into this week. In your name we pray. Amen.